This morning in your Bibles, congregation, we would invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. In your pew Bible, you can find this on page 1,367. We'll read 2 Timothy 3 in its entirety, and we'll focus especially upon verses 13, 14, and 15 this morning. Uh, so we read the authoritative, inspired Word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth, men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And thus far, the reading of the Word of God this morning. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul often used the analogy of running a race uh, to describe the life of the Christian faith. And if you think of running a race, and some of you run races, you know that it is very important to begin the race, to start the race. If it's a sprint, you need to come out of the blocks, so to speak, well. Uh, if it's a marathon or a run of a longer distance, you need to establish your pace and to stick with that pace. And so it's very important if you're going to run a race to begin the race. But also, it's even more important, you might say, to finish the race. Uh, what foolishness it would be, for example, if somebody was competing in a 5K 3.1 miles, and they stopped after a mile and said, well, I did really well that first mile. I think I'll call it quits. Well, no doubt the coaches and also the spectators uh, would have a word of criticism upon such a mentality. 
And I trust you can see how this ties in with what we have to consider this morning. The continuation in the faith. It's important to begin well, but congregation, it's also vitally important to end well. We've had the occasion this morning to hear a profession of faith. You might say a testimony that a race has begun. But all of us should ask the question, in addition to have I begun the race of the Christian faith, how will I end the race? And it is my pastoral prayer and hope that all who hear these words would end the race well. But how do you end the race well? How do you go from starting the race to ending the race well? Well, you simply continue on. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, whether it be in our individual life or whether it be in our family life, whether it be in our congregational life, and by extension, uh, perhaps if it is in connection with our federational life, we must continue on in the things which we have learned. And so I want to consider that this morning uh, with you with the words of our text from 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 13 through 15. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I want to consider this text with this theme, a command to continue in the faith, noticing, first of all, the need for continuing in the faith, and then secondly, the essence of continuing in the faith, and then thirdly, the knowledge in continuing in the faith. So a command to continue in the faith, the need, the essence, and the knowledge uh, that are connected to that continuation in the Christian faith. First of all, why is there such a need to continue in the faith? In light of our text, you notice that there is this need to continue in the faith given the presence of evil men. Uh, we live in perilous times. We hear that often in the year of our Lord, 2022, but the Apostle Paul said such things already in the first century, in the apostolic age. Uh, he writes to his young protege, Timothy, likely in the 60s A.D., before even uh, one century uh, had passed within the year of our Lord. And yet the Apostle Paul acknowledges the continued reality of the existence of evil men. And not only the existence, uh, but you'll notice that he identifies uh, that these evil men uh, are those who are not only evil men, but also impostors. They are evil men in the sense that they are morally and ethically opposed to God uh, with a blatant exercise of defiance, with a futile exercise of defiance, but with a blatant exercise of defiance. Uh, the evil doers within a society continue to defy God by engaging in all sorts of gross acts of immorality as the apostle describes in the opening verses of 2 Timothy 3. Not only evil men, but you'll notice that they are also identified as imposters. 
imposters. Imposters who seek to deceive, who seek to trick. Uh, You might say that these persons, and the word imposter means one who makes a false claim. One who tells a lie underneath the pretense of it being something that is true. Uh, Those who tell a lie, especially making false claims concerning moral value, concerning ethical value, and concerning spiritual knowledge. Those who make false claims concerning their own authority and their own power. All of this meaning is bound up in this word imposter. So it is a person who makes false claims of having some authority or having some power. And then underneath the pretense of that false claim of power and authority, peddles lies about moral value, about ethical value, about spiritual truth and about eternal realities. And if we observe our culture in which we live, it's really very similar to the culture in which the Apostle Paul lived. And we find such imposters uh, in places of power and authority, whether it be uh, governing bodies and governing officials, uh, clearly calling that which is good evil and that which is evil good. Uh, You can think of some of the declarations that are being made by people in high positions of governing. They're coming out and they're more and more blatantly and aggressively saying, for example, that life as it begins underneath the wonderful act of conception in the womb can simply be butchered and murdered. And they're doing so with a growing blatancy, even using scriptural text twisting them, of course, with the gross perversion to support such horrific practices as abortion. And you can also then go to many in Academia Hall and find there a self-proclaimed expert in moral value and in ethical value, once again calling that which is evil good and that which is good evil. Now, we should not just simply bemoan the fact The Apostle Paul tells us that these people exist, and they seem to exist in a nearly ubiquitous manner. They seem to be everywhere. And as we make profession of faith in such a culture and in such a context, there is also then this warning, such evil men, such imposters exist constantly bombarding the church with their message, and the Apostle Paul is clear, from such people turn away. Turn away. Don't listen to them. And don't unnecessarily engage with them. If you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where did Eve make her first mistake? By giving ear to the serpent. By just pausing long enough to consider the words of the serpent how much better off she would have been if she would have turned away, stopped her ears to the foolish nonsense that the evil imposter Satan himself was portraying to her. So evil men exist, but notice that they also progress. They progress in their evilness. They progress even in their opposition to the church. Romans 1, and you can read it at your own leisure, describes the progression of evil men. 
as God in his sovereign righteousness gives such persons over to themselves. And so, Ethan, you've made profession of faith this morning. And all of us, we can consider our own professions of faith. We profess faith. But we do so in a broader context of being surrounded by evil men and imposters who are continuing to progress and increase in their deceptive measures. And that deception is what's so deadly. Carbon monoxide, they say, is one of the most deadly uh, gases because it's undetected. And it just works very subtly. And so they advise you, and rightfully so, to get a carbon monoxide tester. That can detect that which is, by our own senses, undetectable. We live in a fallen world with deceiving imposters coming and peddling with smooth words and half-truths, damning lies. From such men turn away. But notice also then, not only the need for continuing in the faith, but something in our second point of its essence. What does it mean to continue in the faith? Well, first of all, notice the essential person. Now, the Apostle Paul, he says in verse 14, but you, speaking first of all to Timothy, and Timothy was in the position of an office bearer in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so in passing, let me make an appeal to all current office bearers, as well as an appeal to future office bearers. This exhortation, first and foremost, comes to the office bearers in the church. You must continue in the things which you have learned. The mantle, so to speak, of our forefathers has been sovereignly laid upon our shoulders. And oftentimes we look back with appreciation for the doctrinal stands that our forefathers took. And rightfully so, if those doctrinal stands were biblical and orthodox. But loved ones, it's not enough to just simply look back with appreciation for what our forefathers have done. Now it's up to us, by the grace of God, to continue in the things which we have learned. And so perhaps you sit here as an elder or a deacon and you think back to your own upbringing in the covenant community. Uh, you think back to your own Sunday school and catechism, days of instruction, the things which you have learned, continue in them. It's not easy, especially not easy in a context of a world such as ours. And as we continue in the things which we have learned, more and more we are setting ourselves on a crash course uh, with our culture. More and more we are going to experience the reality of the antithesis, that we have a worldview that is not compatible with the worldview 
of our secular society. Never mind. Continue on in the things which you have learned. But also by extension, yes, the Apostle Paul, he writes first and foremost to Timothy and Timothy's position as an office bearer. But as we've considered in our men's Bible study, uh, Titus and Timothy are what we call mandate epistles. This would have been read most likely in the presence of the entire congregation. And so the entire congregation receives uh, this exhortation that is all who profess the Christian faith, all who profess to believe with a saving faith in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit, all who profess from their heart those basic Christian truths as they are summarized in the Apostles' Creed. And so I trust that that includes you this morning as an individual person. The exhortation, as you begin another week, as you come here on a Sunday morning, the exhortation of your God is continue. Continue in the things which you have learned. Press on in the exercise of the Christian faith. I know that perhaps maybe last week was difficult, and I cannot give you any promises that this week will be less difficult. All I can do is echo the words of Scripture and say, no matter what difficulties we experience, and the Apostle Paul, he experienced many a persecution. He experienced many an affliction. But as he, in his seasoned wisdom, as he reflects upon all of the persecutions that he has been through, his exhortation is, continue on. And in many ways, uh, there are those times uh, in an earthly race, especially in a long-distance race. Maybe it's at the two-mile mark if you're running a 5K. Maybe it's, I don't know, at the 10-mile mark if you're running a half a marathon. There are those times in which the running of the race means nothing more than putting one foot in front of the next foot and saying, step by step, breath by breath, I will continue on until I see the finish line. And then there is the hope that upon seeing the finish line, there might be uh, the reinvigoration enough that they might finish the race strong and crest the tape with full stride. And that's the way it often is in the Christian life. Now, maybe that doesn't sound so romantic and glorious, but it's real. And so maybe this morning you come and it's, the experience of your soul that you just need to put one foot in front of the next foot. And then pray for the strength to put the foot in front of the next. Then I just simply encourage you to do that. Step by step, day by day. Maybe you come and in God's providence you're nearing the finish line. Well then lift up your spiritual head. And by the grace of God, give it the last burst of energy that your soul can muster. And crest the tape from time into eternity full stride. But in the context of this morning's profession of faith, if you are a young person, having just recently professed your faith, find a good stride a good stride of faithfulness to God, and continue on. The word continue, and this is why I think it's so fitting for a profession of faith, the main verb, the main action to which the Apostle Paul 
exhorts us. In verse 14, you must continue. Uh, That word continue has the idea of remain, persevere, stand firm, be fixed, but connected to the keeping of an agreement or the keeping of a vow. And sadly, if you look at the description uh, of an evil culture as the Apostle Paul gives it there in the beginning of 2 Timothy 3, the same is true of our culture. A person's words often mean very little in our day. And that's unfortunate. But as Christians, our words ought to mean something. And when we make a promise, when we take an oath, when we give a vow, let us be persons of integrity. And let us fulfill that which we have said we would fulfill. Let us continue on in holding fast the doctrines of the Old and the New Testament as they are contained in the articles of our Christian faith. Let us continue on embracing the Lord Jesus Christ and the covenant promises of the grace and the mercy, including the forgiveness of sins. Let us continue steadfastly in the private and in the public corporate worship of our God, no matter the circumstances, uh, no matter the occasion. Let us be men and women of integrity. When we say that we are going to do something, let us do that. When we promise that we will submit to the admonitions of our spiritual leaders, let us then make sure that we actually fulfill that promise. Not only so that we can be characterized as persons of integrity, but also that we can continue to spiritually advance, running the race that is set before us. And yes, there are the hills of difficult circumstances, and there are the trials that come with the Christian life, but it's especially in those trials and up those hills of difficult circumstances, whatever they may be, that The integrity of a person is tested. Now you said you would do this. And now here's the hill of trial. Prove. Prove that you are a person of spiritual integrity. Hold fast. Continue in the promise and in the vow that you have taken. Now I'm not in any way implying that Louis Burkhoff perfectly exhausted the depths of Christian theology. But my point in giving a book such as Louis Burkhoff's Manual of Christian Doctrine is to emphasize the fact that Christian faith doesn't change. But sadly, many a person has moved away from the Christian faith. The faith, Jude tells us, in Jude's epistle, is the faith that once and for all has been committed unto the people of God. But sadly, many a person, having started well, moved away from that faith. Don't let it be said of us that they started well, but then drifted off. Continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Christian doctrine, 
Christian morals, Christian ethics, Christian practices. Knowing, and that brings us into our third point, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you look there in verse 14 and 15, knowing and know is used twice, and I want to link them together. Because if you read the knowing in verse 14, apart from the knowing in verse 15, we might be tempted to fall into traditionalism. If we just stop and say, okay, I need to continue in the things which I have learned, knowing from whom you have learned them, then we might have this idea that if I don't do anything different than my dad, if I don't do anything different than my grandfather, if we don't do anything different than the consistory of 1946, and I just picked that data at absolute random, so don't spend any time thinking what the consistory in 1946 did. But if we just simply stop and say, well, if, if we don't ever change anything or do anything different than our forefathers, then we'll be okay. That is the danger of traditionalism. But the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, you must continue on knowing from whom you have learned these truths, and then, verse 15, from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. And so one of the great pillars, as we're studying in the high school catechism class of the Reformed faith, is Scripture alone. Scripture alone is our authority for doctrine and for life. And see, this is the knowledge that is so necessary to continue in the faith. And it's a knowledge that I can't give you as a congregation I can't give this knowledge even to my own children. Now, I certainly encourage them to have this knowledge and pray that the Holy Spirit would give them this knowledge. But what is this knowledge that we are speaking of? The knowledge of the authority of the Word of God alone. You give a person that, they'll continue on. And you give a, a family that, a wholehearted commitment to the authority of the Word of God alone as the inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God, that family will continue in the faith. And if a congregation, if a group of Christians come together and underneath the Holy Spirit's blessing, if that congregation has a sincere commitment and conviction of the authority of the Word of God, that congregation and that congregation alone will continue in the things which they have learned. You see the difference between traditionalism? Well, we dare not depart from previous ecclesiastical assemblies. We just must simply continue to do whatever our forefathers do. If that's the mentality, I guarantee you a generation will arise and say, why are we doing what we're doing? And if the answer is simply because, well, Grandpa did it that way, that will not suffice. And there are a plethora of empty churches and dead denominations that testify if our answer to why do we do what we do is just simply because, well, Grandpa did it that way. A generation will arise and say, well, I don't see any reason to do things the way Grandpa did. But if we say we do what we do because of the authority of the Word of God, and if underneath God's blessings of grace and mercy we are able to say, and Grandpa did what Grandpa did, and Grandma did what Grandma did because of the authority of the Word of God, and Mom and Dad did what Mom and Dad did 
Yes, imperfectly, but because of the authority of the Word of God. And so now you, son, you daughter, you grandson, you granddaughter, you great-grandson, you great-granddaughter, continue on in the things which you have learned, knowing the authority of the Word of God. That it is just that, the Word of God given by inspiration, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And so, dear congregation, let us never depart. Let us never depart from the biblical ways of our forefathers in regards to doctrine and life. Because the result of this knowledge is peace and joy in this present life, but also peace and joy in eternal life. So continue on, so that when time begins to give way to eternity, by God's grace, we might also be able to say with the Apostle Paul, and if you have your Bible open, you can see this in the next chapter, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8. And what a blessing to be able to say upon one's deathbed, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You notice that? I have finished the race. How do you finish the race? By continuing in the things which you have learned. So Paul can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your life-giving word, and as we have attempted to expound it this morning, uh, we humbly pray that the Holy Spirit might stir up the exercise of faithfulness in our soul. Let each of us, no matter where we find ourselves uh, in life, uh, might press on, and we might continue holding on to the Christian faith with sincerity of heart. And may we have a conviction within our hearts uh, that is deep and that is strong regarding the authority of the Word of God that testifies to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.